Now it is. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And now it is on my end. I, I always love it when my <laughs> guests know when we're live before I do, but Hey, that's, that's neither here nor there. Hey, this is Brent Leary. And this is the uh, first, a few good minutes for this week. Actually, this is cool because it's like a few good minutes, double header um, because <laughs> Uh, the first 30 minutes, I get a chance to talk to my buddy, Ron Miller, Enterprise reporter over at TechCrunch. And then at 2.30, I know you know who this is, uh, Ron, John Ferrara, founder yeah. and CEO of not only Nimble, but also Goldmine. Uh, and there's, he's, been a while. he's been around a little bit, you know, uh, and but there's a there's a special reason why I always try to have John on in September. Uh, because, well, he's a Rams fan, so that's always a good thing. But, <laughs> but John was actually my first guest in this this series, this weekly series, going all the way back to September of 2010. So this will mark 12 years, and it's always good to have John on, uh, you know, to talk about, you know, what's happened over the years that not only did he found Nimble, but we found a gold mine and how CRM has changed and how important it is to small businesses. So that's coming up after the conversation with Ron. Uh, so Ron, let's get it out the way. Uh, I'm a Rams fan. You're a Patriots fan. So we, <laughs> we usually don't see eye to eye on things, but unfortunately we have something. We're in still common. Friends, though. <laughs> yeah, we're still <laughs> and unfortunately we have something in common this week because both our teams lost in week one. So it looked kind of flat doing it, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it didn't look good. So I, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what else I can add. I'm still, you know, I got a, I, I bought, this is the first time I'm actually wearing this on camera. So. I mean, looking good decked out in that LA gear. I guess <laughs> I, I feel good. You know, hopefully, uh, guess what? The funny thing is, the Rams play the Falcons this Sunday in LA. So I'm hearing all the Rams talk from the Falcons perspective, and I'm just like, just go out there, take your beating, and come back home. That's <laughs> no, you know what's going to happen? They'll be up by 20 in the third quarter and still oh. lose. <laughs> 28 to three, maybe? Or <laughs> oh man! All right, so we have a lot to talk about in a short amount of time. There's, a, I think, I, I, we came up with a, a pretty decent list. Uh, first one I wanted to go over, though, since next week is Dreamforce. It's been the biggest industry event for years now. This year is like the first time it's back to full strength since the pandemic. I believe I saw Mark Vinioff tweeted out something to the effect of they're expecting 150,000 people, which is really not that far off from the, the big, I think it was I mean, that's the old days, right? That's yeah. The old days. So, and I'm going out, you're not going out, but I'll, I'm going to go and check it out and see what it's like post-pandemic Dreamforce. It's the 20th anniversary of Dreamforce. Kind of gives us a, a, a perspective to, for me to ask you this question since Dreamforce is kind of the bellwether event for the industry. Um, give me a, 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 your take on where the industry is going into this big, huge event for Dreamforce. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of interesting because, you know, you look at where Salesforce is and they just keep getting bigger and bigger and, um, you know, they keep adding pieces. And of course, uh, you know, Slack is a big piece that they added in recent years. And 
as you kind of see them try to be this kind of all things digital to companies, it's 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 going to be interesting to see where they go with it. They've always been a company that embraces whatever is the newest, whether it was, you know, that you know when it was enterprise 2.0 and they 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 mm. they got into that and when it was ai they got into that and you know whatever it is that's the latest technology they're going to try and get there and they're going to try and find a way to make it work for them and you know it's it's been working pretty well i mean they're what you know how many how many 20 plus billion dollars in revenue at this point that they are you know as an industry and i think this would be something interesting for you to talk to john at the bottom of the hour you know it it feels like it's a little stagnated to me and you know i'm not sure where where it's going to go and you know at some point you are where you are and that's okay i mean it's, it's not a criticism it's just to say that it's stagnated it is it's like They've incorporated everything. They got customer service. You know, they got they got um, you know everything under the sun there. And they got commerce. They got marketing automation. I mean, yeah. they, they got CPQ. I mean, they, they CDP. I mean, right. I, I'm running out of acronyms, man. Right. I mean, they got everything going on, and you wonder like how much can they expand that? It's about how much easier can they make it to use, and I think that's really what. Salesforce is working on at this point is like how do they simplify some of this complexity and uh, you know where where do they go with it because they they control a big part of the market and you know if there's one thing that I've learned watching industries over the number of years that I've been watching the enterprises that the you know the entrenched incumbent has to watch its back <laughs> yeah. for real yeah all right I'm really just interested to see what happens what comes out of next week had some some kind of some analyst briefings ahead of time on some things but i know there's gonna be a ton of stuff that comes out so it'll be interesting to see you know oh, you can be sure there'll be news you know you can be yeah. sure they'll be they'll be doing stuff and they always have plenty of announcements and you know it's it's like a three-ring circus when they uh <laughs> When they have Dreamforce going, I wrote a I wrote a piece a few years ago after I was there called Lights, Camera, Dream Dreamforce. It was just like it was such a spectacle, you know. With and they had the monks, and they had they had the outdoor music festivals, and they had, um, you know, they they lay down the park and and shut down the street, and they do so much. And to have one hundred fifty thousand people back is, uh, you know, is, yeah. is 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 a real testament. And to see you know, to sort of come back and be reborn. And, you know, what they did with it while they were gone to be able to make it virtual and then to take that virtual piece and make that into like their their media arm has been pretty impressive to watch too. Absolutely. I, I, I'm really, you know, I am not as uh, excited about the 150,000 people. <laughs> I, I'll be masked up from the time I hit the, <laughs> You know, hit the the plane, get off the plane, and hit the city, because uh, I'm just not really ready for that part of it. But I I am really excited about you know seeing some of the folks and and getting a taste for what post pandemic Dreamforce is, is going to shape up to be. So we'll see um, on that one. Okay, so I want to throw something at you. I I just I didn't get a chance to ask you about, but you wrote about it. Um, Oracle. Now monitoring TikTok. Tick, everybody's talking about TikTok, so this is kind of why I, I, I was interested in it. Uh, so Oracle is involved with TikToks and its algorithm, and, and TikTok's algorithm is its business. I mean, this is the algorithms are what put content in front of people. 
and, and it's not necessarily people putting content in front of people. It's algorithms doing that. Um, and so seeing how Oracle is playing a role in monitoring this and the also, you know, you can't help but look at, you know, the, the, the Chinese government's role in all this. So you have big enterprise Oracle monitoring huge social network TikTok on the kind of on the, the, the geography of China. What are some of the big implications for this combination of Oracle monitoring TikTok with China looming in the background for, for the enterprise tech space, let's say. I mean, it, it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, this was this was really Sarah's story. I will be be um, you know transparent here. And I I came on to you know kind of give some enterprisey background on on this whole um, TikTok uh, Oracle involvement. And that goes back to that whole um, you know, shotgun wedding that happened under the previous administration, um, you know, where, where TikTok and, and Oracle were kind of being like, well, TikTok was being dragged to the altar with, <laughs> with Oracle. That, that ended up not happening, of course. Um, but now we have, uh, you know, this rather bizarre turn of events where, um, you know, they've been put in charge of monitoring the algorithm. And, you know, the, the thought that came to mind when I when I saw this was it's like the fox guarding the hen house, you know. I mean, it's 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 a bizarre setup, and I'm not sure like whose idea this was, um, you know. But uh, you know, it's 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 like they were supposed to do business together, and now they're supposed to be monitoring. You know, one's supposed to be monitoring the other. The whole thing is just kind of a head scratcher to me. Yeah, yeah. Do you see? This is kind of a unique example but do you see this as potentially being kind of the the first foot in the door for more enterprise SaaS companies starting to do more in china i mean i don't know that this is about you know oracle doing any business in china per se Hmm. it's more about oracle being put in charge of as i understand it um making sure that the chinese government isn't monitoring TikTok activity in the United States for some political reasons. And again, I, I'm, I'm not an expert on this, um, but, uh, you know, I don't know that that has anything to do necessarily with with doing business there. And if anything, it may, you know, piss off the Chinese government and make mm-hmm. them not want to do business with Oracle. So, um, you know, whether that matters to Oracle or not and 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 they're, they're you know, C-suite, I don't know. But, um, you know, that have somehow been put in this position. I'm not sure it's a comfortable position for any corporation to be in. Right. No, I totally agree with you. Uh, I, there's going to be a lot of strange bedfellows going forward because. Yeah. I mean, when, when you start looking at that kind of stuff and then, you know, I mean, you have a similar kind of situation in China, though, if you look at it with cloud infrastructure, because the cloud infrastructure vendors can't operate without like a Chinese partner. And then, so you have, you have that that kind of thing going on there, but again, um, you know this kind of geopolitical stuff is way out of my ballywick. <laughs> Come on, you didn't study this in uh, in a t- journalism one hundred and one back in the day, man. They <laughs> didn't did not prepare me for this. No. <laughs> All right, well, I know there's one that you are prepared for because uh, you actually invited me to to uh, help out on this one. 
Uh, Zoho is a company that I think, well, in the enterprise, SMB, mid-market enterprise, particularly in the SMB space, pretty much everybody knows a lot about. But as they have made the move, the, the kind of the progression upstream, it feels like they're starting to you know, get people's attention outside of that traditional small business realm. And so you wrote about, this, I think it was this week or last week one, yeah. how a company like Zoho, who has never taken any VC money, uh, hasn't taken any external, actually, I'll just paraf- uh, just use your words, a company without a dime of external investment. But a lot of people don't know this, but they're a billion dollar annual revenue company. They have right. like 11,000 employees. They have, I think, was it 50 million p- people using their... Hey, they have a ton of people using yeah. it. I'm, I'm not exactly sure of the number unless I look at the article, which I don't have in front of me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look at the article, it has all the numbers. And yeah, uh, yeah they, they're, they're an extremely successful company, you know, any way you look at it. And, and you know, one of the things that I find interesting is Zoho as a company that we know it today is Zoho. They, they had they existed before in some guise as a different company, but uh, Zoho, as we know it today, launched uh, Zoho Writer in 2005. And an interesting tidbit that came out of the story in my, in my uh, interview with the CEO was that uh, their first coverage was by Michael Arrington at TechCrunch back in 2005, which is the year TechCrunch launched. So that's that's pretty wow. uh, interesting kind of connection there. Yeah. But if you look at another company that launched in 2005, that's a SaaS company, Box. They launched in 2005 as well, and you know they raised about a billion dollars. They went public. They had to deal with activist investors, and they're just about getting to a billion dollars. Now, you know they're not a perfect comparison by any means, but it's an interesting comparison that you have two companies that came out of the same year. Uh, you know, both early adherents to cloud computing, and you know went very different paths. And one of the things that sort of came out in my conversation is that what not taking that investment money gave Zoho. And, you know, what it gave them was this kind of freedom because they didn't have to answer to anybody. And if you take money from somebody, you have to answer to them. You know, <laughs> um, you know, some some investors have a light touch. Some investors have a heavier touch. But um, the chances are if they're investing in you, they have a say in the direction that you're going in. And, you know, uh, he said that one of the reasons that he didn't want to take money and made a strong decision not to take money was because they wanted to have this independence. And what that independence gave them, and one of the things that, you know, you and and Laurie McCabe, who I also spoke to uh, for the article, talked about was, you know, they, they were able to carry out their vision in the way that they wanted to at the pace they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And the, really the, the way that they went about it. And when you think about it, you know, they had writer and then they had the presentation program and then they layered on more and more and more software. Um, they were able to kind of throw that stuff out there for free, let it percolate, let it develop and then become pretty sophisticated software that people were willing to pay for. And they could do it at their own way and at their own at their own rate. And I think it was it was it's an interesting story. It's an interesting contrast to the typical way we think about startups. You know, they they kind of get an investment, 
they use that investment to grow and then they go public and then, you know, they, they be, you know, become successful companies or not. But this company has managed to become, a, you know, I think by any measure, a successful company. And, you know, we can talk a little bit about their, you know, charitable side, but they've been able to be a successful company with a conscience on their own terms. And I think that was what made it an interesting story and why I wanted to write about them. I, I think the the real interesting component is, and I'll just throw this out there to you, is there any other company that you know of that can pull off what they did the way they did it? I mean, I don't know if, you know, I mean, I, I can't say for sure. I'm sure that there are companies that build things up. But, you know, when I think about startups and I think about how they operate typically and Zoho didn't, you think about like if, if you go back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, if somebody wanted to start a business, right? Let's say a dry cleaners or a restaurant or, or whatever, you know, maybe they got a friends and family loan and, you know, either they, they, they succeeded or they didn't. And now you have this kind of, you know, starting in the 90s and really heating up in the 2000s, you have this, this model where you get this outside investment and you grow your company that way. And they kind of are a throwback to those kind of earlier kinds of businesses where mom and pop businesses where, you know, they really wanted to grow a company and they wanted to, you know, hire people and be a hiring engine and take care of those people and, and you know, be a, be a pillar in the community. And I think that's one thing that, um, you know, Zoho can take pride in is that they, 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 they take care of their employees and they take care of the community at large. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're doing so many interesting, unique things and a lot of p things that people don't know about. Um, eventually, I think they'll come to light, but it's fascinating to see a company be able to say, you know what? Yeah, we know the the kind of the traditional playbook. You, you raise your money, you, you try to do things as fast as possible and you know, let the chips fall where they may. Um, they are like, you know, I remember talking to Raju Vigesna, their chief evangelist over there. And uh, he said, or maybe it was Schritter. It could it could be either one of the two. You know, they get their best nights of sleep on quarter close. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty, uh, pretty significant thing for uh, an executive or, or a founder to say uh, of a company as particularly that size, because usually you can't sleep on quarter close. You're too busy worried about did we make our numbers? And these right. guys are like, hey, we don't worry about that because they don't have to, re you know, to report to anybody. You know, just just to sort of touch upon the, um, you know, the freedom. You know, Shridhar gave me a quote, you know, talked when he was talking to me, he said, he said part of that, you know, that they're able to run the company the way they want. He says it's, it comes from us staying private because a lot of profit we earn from the business is going into this. It's going in R&D. It's going into figuring out complicated technology and it's going into charitable activities one thing it's not going into is buying a private jet for myself because <laughs> i'm not interested in that <laughs> and i just thought mm -hmm. that that was such a you know a great line yeah. he said it he said it laughingly but you know it, it's just yeah like, but he meant it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know he meant it that's okay that's that's right. cool to me and you know and he's talked about how he started schools in india and, yeah um you know he's got uh you know what I mean? You know, Mark Benioff has done a lot of charitable activity as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the, again, going back to this 
staying private is is uh, is and, and you know many companies have have a very um, you know kind of uh, charitable charitable arm, uh, but but this idea that he was he was able Sridhar was able to you know build this company on his own terms is it is just was really fascinating to me, uh, you know when when you think about how most companies are built these days. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's keep it moving. Um, you also wrote about the this company paradigm and DEI. And I know this is an area that you're interested in and I'm interested in. We have this, this kind of shared interest. You do a lot of stories throughout the year where you're talking to tech companies and, and particularly the ones that are doing are doing the work and seem to be serious about it. What What's with the paradigm and what they're doing here? So yeah, Paradigm's an interesting company. They they kind of give you data. They will do an analysis of your company. They came up with this little this, this not little this software platform that um, kind of lets you first it connects to your HR system and looks at you know kind of hiring data and those kinds of things like where are you in those in those kinds of numbers when it comes to you know diversity efforts and then. Um, then, then they 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 provide a series of questions for the C-suite, which are more pointed and kind of depend on who you are as a company. Like a, a venture capital firm might get a different set of questions than you know a, 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 a SaaS company. So, so then they take this data and they they kind of give you a a you know where are you now kind of uh, picture with data, and so you know. Everything we look at, you know, in any kind of ESG effort has to be data driven or it's just kind of aspirational, right? It's like, oh, yeah, we want to not be polluting, but um, we have no idea whether we are or not. And we, we want to be hiring a diverse group of people, but we don't really know where we are. Or if we are, like, are we retaining people, you know, are, are people leaving after six months or a year because they don't feel welcome, they don't feel included? And so, with the effort that um, that they do is they 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 give you this data, and then they they give you like a few goals kind of to work on, and then um, you know you can work on that goal, and then you can see in six months like how have we done, uh, how are we doing towards these goals, and it gives people you know something. They're not boiling the ocean anymore. They're not kind of thinking like, well, we think we're doing a good job, or we don't know how we're doing. It gives them very concrete data and goals and ways to measure against that. Uh, that's, uh, I did an interview, a conversation with uh, Lori Castillo-Martinez, the, the chief equality officer over at Salesforce. And we talked about, I mean, you look at Salesforce, they are wildly successful. They are the, the top dog in the industry. And they're the ones that have done the most in integrating DEI into the core of the business. They do it because, you know, and they put in measures and they put in, you know, along with revenue numbers, they put in DEI numbers that, you know, their executives are, you know, are responsible for a meeting. And I think, you know, the aspirational stuff is great, but you got to marry it and, and, and measure it. And I, I love that piece that you did here. And one, one last one kind of on this topic, you did recently 
Can you talk a little bit. Of, I've never heard of Junco. Uh, no, I hadn't either until until they they you know their their PR people pitched me. But um, yeah, it's an interesting process that they have. So you know where where Paradigm is looking at um, you know kind of measuring where you are and how to improve it. Uh, Junco is kind of looking at the top of the funnel and how can you get um, underrepresented groups of people into the into the um, funnel and then hire them and how do you get qualified you know highly qualified people and there's this you know and one thing I you know I kind of open with is you know there's this kind of persistent idea that it's really hard or you're somehow lowering the bar and um, you know which is which is a really annoying argument to me but um, yeah. you know that they, they say you know they can answer both of those excuses by providing a set of highly qualified um, people from underrepresented groups, which which they define as people of color, um, women, and um, and veterans. So, and then what they do is they have what they call the silver medalists. So they have access to recruitment systems, and they look at people who have gone through the entire recruitment process of say an Atlassian or a Google or a Meta, and they went through it, but they didn't get hired at the end. And so they are clearly qualified, but, you know, there was a bunch of factors of whatever it is that, you know, there's only one person who can get the job, right? So the, the, the theory goes that if they went that far in the hiring process, then they are pretty high quality people. And so they give these what they call silver medalists, um, you know, they, they, they connect companies who are looking to hire more diverse candidates and they connect them with these silver medalists and with the theory being that these people are going to be highly qualified and they should be you know like a slam dunk when it comes to um you know finding quality talent all these things it feels like uh you know having the gray and the beard and being around for decades in tech uh and hearing you know about are uh, you know these these moments that you know we're look we're gonna do it we're gonna we're gonna get more people involved we're gonna get more people in leadership position and nothing happens. I I am feeling a little bit more optimistic about you know the the overall potential movement that some of these companies are doing and you and you hear like the stories that you just mentioned and and you see companies like a Salesforce who. I'll never forget one of the, the kind of the watershed moments for me in believing, oh, maybe this is going to be different, is seeing uh, at the time their, C their chief equality officer, Tony Profit, he was on the main keynote stage of Dreamforce maybe four or five years ago. And he wasn't talking about DEI. He was actually doing a product demo. And that's, uh, that's when it clicked on me. Oh, finally, a company gets it. It's not, you got to integrate this. You don't just you know, do it and have it off to the side. Let these people also be a part of the core business. And hopefully, you know, we're seeing real strides, not just one or two companies, but hopefully we'll see, you know, real, real progress being made. And, and I love having conversations with you because you're, you're talking to these folks. I'm talking to these folks. We need to do our, our, uh, our joint convo uh, sometime, maybe next year. Couldn't pull it yeah. off this year, but I would love to do that again. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I remember speaking to to one woman who runs a um, you know a, a investment firm that's that's aimed at you know underrepresented communities, and she was talking about historically, 
And again, she had been a person who had, who had been around for a while and she had been an engineer, you know, black woman engineer in the eighties. There weren't too mm. many of them. Yeah. And, um, you know, so she, 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 she's seen it all. And she said, you know, like historically the window opens, it gets slim shot and then it's often worse than it was before the window opened. Mm. And, you know, we're, we're, two plus years from, from George Floyd's murder by Minneapolis police. And I think the window is still open. You, you know, I mean, that's my perception. It feels like, you know, this moment is extending maybe a little bit longer than others have. And I think the longer it extends, um, you know, the, the more likely it is to be a more sustained thing. And I hope that's the case. And I hope that, you know, some of these things like by you having people on your your program and by by me writing some of these things that you know we we help kind of put it keep a spotlight on this and keep the keep the momentum going absolutely all right we will do that uh before you get out here you had mentioned one quick one you wanted to bring up around something that zoom is doing oh yeah i mean i saw that this this morning um uh zoom is is uh, a, a reportedly going to be adding email and calendaring, which, you know, puts it in direct conflict with, you know, Google, with Gmail and with uh, Google Calendar and with Outlook and Outlook Calendar. And, you know, this seems to be an effort on Zoom Spartan has been for, you know, this isn't new. They've been trying to expand beyond, you know, the core, uh, you know, online meeting tool for some time now. But, you know, they went from these like ridiculous, growth numbers, like 350% revenue increase during the height of the pandemic. And now I think, you know, they're, they're, they're at a rather pedestrian, like eight and a half percent revenue growth. So, you know, they're looking for ways, you know, I mean, nobody's going to get expects them to be triple digit, but I think they probably are looking for ways to get more into, you know, double digit in a, in a consistent way. And, um, you know, they want to expand the platform to do that and whether they can, um, you know, I don't know if these tools, maybe with the whiteboarding tool that they added, they expanded their chat tool. They have their, um, you know, their 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 kind of enterprise uh, phone system that they have. Um, they, they have a bunch of things going on that they're trying to, and that's growing pretty fast. Um, and so they're trying a bunch of different things. I'm not sure that, you know, that the, Good luck. <laughs> These kind of things like calendar and email are going to move the needle, but they're trying. Yeah. Plus, I mean, the competition for that stuff is. It's brutal. <laughs> so good luck to them. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if it's going to work or not. They I, they got they got to do stuff. They got to try things. So good luck to them on that. All right. Ron, this is as always. It's been great talking with you. Do you want to help me uh, welcome uh, my next guest before I let you go? Sure. All right, because, you know, we're all kind of got the gray going, you know, we've been around, <laughs> we've seen some stuff. And of course, uh, my next guest not only has seen some stuff, he's done a lot of stuff. He's one of the co-founders of the industry, when you think about it, with co-founding uh, Goldmine. And now, of course, he is the uh, CEO and founder of Nimble. He is, as I like to call him, the right reverend. John Ferrara is in the house. Good to see you, man. Hey, John. <laughs> Good to see you. Hey, hey, Brent, nice to see you, Ron. Always a pleasure. I loved the higher power and purpose conversation that I was hearing from you both. 
Because I think that if tech isn't doing good, isn't enlightening and empowering change in us all, then I think that it's not really delivering on its promise. Because if you think about what enterprise software has traditionally been, was about eliminating manpower and maximizing profit, which I don't necessarily believe is really in the positive good for the people of the world. And I think that diversity makes a stronger rug or rope. If you think about mm -hmm. it, if a rope is just one string versus a, a combination of strings and the strings are maybe different densities where it basically the combination is bigger than the individual. I think that's really where the power of the universe is. And, uh, and the conversation about software like uh, Junko that identifies people that are different that have gone through the process. How great is that? And, uh, and you know that the, 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 the Zoom thing was really interesting to me because if you think about it, what are they doing? They're building a contact center, right? Because yeah. Zoom is all about engagement, right? And so they've got, they started out with the video conferencing stuff and then they have this telephony stuff and they're adding email and calendar. Well, guess what? What's friggin' missing from that equation? contacts because who are you meeting with right and if you think about microsoft's whole push on teams it's really to empower engagement and to drive more engagement through microsoft 365 and i think that's really the future especially in this you know this our disconnected covid world and so if they are adding email and they're adding contact hey zoom biz dev people you need some really good contact integration and who better to talk about <laughs> than the godfather of relationship management? And by the way, Goldmine <laughs> gold existed before Outlook. Whole story. There was Outlook when Goldmine started. There was Outlook Express, which was an email inbox in DOS. And so when mm. we built Goldmine, there was no program. First off, Network business software just started could file record lock and just happen on, on Novell Network. So basically, you could have network business software, which means you could actually share uh, and lock records. But there, there was no program that integrated email, contact, and calendar and sales and market automation for a team on a network. Goldmine pioneered that before everything else. And not only that, but we added uh, automated processes, which was market automation before market automation occurred. So we not only pioneered contact management for Outlook and sales, uh, SFA before sales loft and outreach and CRM before Salesforce and Siebel, but mark automation before HubSpot and all these other things. And, it, and, and not only that, but we bootstrapped it with no dime of venture or bank loans. And I think we by, it all together. <laughs> by doing that, we, we were able to march to our own drummer. All right, I'm gonna let Ron go. Uh, All right, because I know John, you better watch out because uh, maybe that Zoom's next announcement. Now, <laughs> you know what? I, I welcome it because a lot of people try to do contacts right, but very few people do because they think it's just a contact record. Whereas contacts are much more than a name, address, city, state, zip, title, and I think that's one of the problems when people like MailChimp or ActiveCampaign add a contact piece to their market automation systems, they don't really understand relationship management. And we're gonna talk about what is the difference between contact management, relationship management, and CRM, because I believe that CRM has lost its way. 
Mm. All right, Ron. All right. Well, we're going to let I'll you, go. you guys to that conversation <laughs> and uh, I will talk to you both soon. Take care. All right. Thank Good you job, for making time, man. I'll, I'll call you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, dude. Uh, you have not changed one bit, which is great. I appreciate it. Did, did I throw down the gauntlet? I was going to say you could have, that was a mic drop moment, but we still got like time. So you, you can't yeah. drop the mic just yet. All right. Let me show you this. Cause this is why uh, I wanted to have you on during the month of September. All right. So I've been doing this series on small business trends, this one-on-one -on -one series, kind of morphed it to what I do with a few good minutes with the live stream stuff. But it started off purely, I think we just jumped on the phone and I got a transcript or something. I, I can't even remember. Is this but, the transcript? You got to send me this. <laughs> I, I, I want to see if I'm I'm still on, on track with my handbook. <laughs> I will. So you so let me let me highlight the date. So this yeah. was published. This is the very first one-on-one -on -one conversation I had for small business trends. It was with the right reverend here. It was September 3rd, 2010. So we have literally passed the 12-year mark. And so I always want to come back and almost every September, I want to have you on because this, you, this is where it all started. So I appreciate it. And I we always have great conversations. And so, yeah, you... There is a transcript. This is on smallbiztrends.com. I'll, I'll share the link with you so you could go back to it. But here's one of the things uh, that I pulled out. So I asked you 12 years ago. Yeah. Uh, is CRM as important then as it was when you co-founded Goldmine? And this is your answer. CRM is absolutely more important today. The old ways of touching your customer just don't work anymore. If you're if you empower your team to listen and engage, it will transform your business. And by leveraging these new methodologies of connecting with customers, they can transform their businesses faster past the plate. Well, I added that, but. All right. So that was your response 12 years ago. Yeah. So if I ask you today, is CRM more important now than it was? Then your response is, well, I think that CRM, which stands for customer relationship management today stands for customer reporting management because CRMs are primarily used by sales and marketing teams to pound prospects and customers. But if you think about it, Brent, what percentage of salespeople are in a company? Maybe 5%. What do the rest of the company do to manage the constituency around the business in order for it to achieve its business goals? They use spreadsheets today still. Why? Because CRMs aren't built for relationships. They're built for command and control of leads. And most outcomes of business relationships is in the sale. And so CRMs are absolutely more important today than they ever have been, but they're misunderstood. Every business buys a CRM because they think they should because everybody else has one, but they don't know why they're buying it. It's a friggin' database for people and contacts and everybody in the company should be using it. So no, because no matter who picks up the phone, you should know who that person is, what their business is about, who talked to them, what they talked about, and what's going to happen and who's going to do it. And most businesses can't tell you that. American Express can tell you that. But most businesses rely on some sort of email productivity suite. Microsoft or Google is the are the tools today. But they suck 
at contact management because every team member in Microsoft and Google has a separate contact database and email and calendar history and pending isn't linked effectively to the contact. So you don't have a shared contact database in your company for the constituency around your business. What is your constituency? It's more than prospects and customers. Today, to grow a business, you've got editors, analysts, bloggers, influencers, third-party developers, investors, advisors, and prospects and customers. And what you're doing is you're using a CRM to qualify leads to pound them into a deal. But the outcome for 95% of the relationship you have isn't a deal. So you end up in spreadsheets and that's where Nimble comes in because Nimble is a serum for more than just salespeople. Nimble is a serum for your whole company and the outcomes of Nimble is much more than deals because we built workflows that enable you to uh, manage the repeatable business and, and company processes that you need to do in order to drive them through the stages and the processes you need in order to achieve your business goals and today, we're not doing it, not doing it the way I think we should. All right. Before we go any further, I got to show this. I think this is what we probably looked like 12 years ago. Jesus, yeah. who are those young guys? <laughs> that was, but you know what? I, I went even deeper. I found a really interesting picture with you. Uh, who's the guy on your right? We're actually. Uh, that's Ronan. Ronan Vance is to my right. Yeah. And uh, Ronan actually was one of the early employees at GoToMeeting. Uh, but he also was hired by, um, oh, God, who was the name of the guy who launched Microsoft Dynamics? It was the guy. He, I think he's over at, at, at SAP now. Uh, you know him. Anyways, the guy to my left is the one and only owner of the Clippers, uh, <laughs> Steve Ballmer. And he would come and do the monkey dance at the goldmine conferences because we literally had 5,000 plus resellers in a ballroom, all basically driving forward, delivering front office business solutions. And he was trying to sell uh, business solutions on top of Microsoft small business server. And he saw that we were transforming those resellers into solution sellers and he came up with the idea to buy Great Plains Dynamics, the back office. And they should have bought Goldmine, but they built Dynamics and, uh, and then hired my <laughs> VP of sales, Tracy Kinsey, and my outside sales team, uh, Ronan Vance, to launch Dynamics. And this is basically a year before uh, we sold Goldmine. Awesome. Okay. I, I had to ask because when I saw it, I was like, wow, look at this. All right, this is interesting. All right. You when did what year did you, you co-found uh, Goldmine? Eighty nine. All right, eighty nine. So you've been involved with this for thirty three years. Jeez, thirty three years, and I don't detect any less an ounce of energy and excitement for this now than you had then. Why are you still so excited and energized by this space by by the work you do? Because I believe, Brent, that we that my purpose on this planet is to grow my soul in the brief period of time that I'm here. And the best way for me to grow my soul is by helping other people grow theirs, rinse and repeat. And what better contribution can I give to my fellow humans than to empower them to reach their dreams by building the relationships that they need to achieve their goals? And so I believe in relationship management. I believe that it takes 
a village for us to achieve our things. You, nobody does things on their own. And if you do what I'm going to tell you right now, which is to build an identity in and share and give away your knowledge in the places where your constituency learns and grows with the intent not to bag and tag and sell them more, but to help them achieve their dreams and grow, that you're going to have all the connections and conversations and how do you manage them? Today, you don't have a personal CRM. Your personal CRM is Google, Microsoft, LinkedIn, and spreadsheets. And so if you believe in the power of relationships, then you should invest in your own personal CRM, your golden Rolodex. And that's why I keep doing what I do because I love to power people because it powers me. Mm. I love that. Um, let's talk about the shortcomings. I mean, 33 years. What are you surprised that we're still getting wrong with this stuff in this, in this area in general? Well, at its core, CRM is a database. And a database should define what you put in and what you want to get out of it. And so I think that most people misunderstand CRM. And so I'm just going to dissect it real quick. A contact manager is essentially something that automates the Rolodex or the Daytimer. SFA is something that automates the six by nine callback card. There's a difference. The callback card was a card that you essentially put the name of the person you're calling, the notes on the call, and the date you're going to call them back. When should I follow up with you? Okay, recall date. Boom. File it on that date. Every day you pull up your cards and you call those people back. That's Salesforce automation with a little bit of forecasting and a spreadsheet. What happened was Goldmine and Act pioneered relationship management and individual people loved it because they all rolled with Rolodexes and then Daytimers and it helped them achieve their relationship goals. SFA just accelerated that sort of relationship outreach. But then CRM was built because Microsoft came in and basically copied Goldmine and built Outlook and Outlook and Act had to shift up in the marketplace and they grew into the needs of the customers by delivering SFA, Mark Automation, eventually CRM. But CRM really didn't take hold till Siebel came in and built the enterprise CRM because management was afraid of what sales reps were doing with their individual contact databases in Goldmine and, and Act. And, um, and I think that we lost our way in the core of CRM, which stands for customer relationship management. Now it stands for customer reporting management because the reason they call it Salesforce, you have to force salespeople to use it. No one in their right mind would use a CRM if they weren't beat on to do it. And Brent, I'll bet you, you don't use a CRM. And so what should a CRM be about? It should be about contacts and relationships at its core to empower the customer facing business team members, not just salespeople, to build the relationships that your company needs to achieve its goals. And then it should have the functions to do the individual things like sales and marketing and the analytics and things you need to do to, for management to keep the finger on the pulse of the business. But today, I think that CRMs aren't delivering on the promise of relationships. And I don't think that Microsoft and Google are delivering on the promise of contact management. And SFA is still a big hole, which is why outreach and sales off is something that my son uses for sales as an SDR because CRMs don't deliver SFA. So CRMs don't deliver contact management or SFA effectively. And this is a big problem. This is the whole nimble spiller. 
Okay, so there's a lot there. Mm. Um, and, and apparently there's a lot missing there still. 33 years into this. So what, what are, have they, you talked to a lot of small businesses. Are you getting a sense that they're feeling any more confident about, I guess, I don't, I guess using CRM. Do, are they put, do they feel like CRM gives them any kind of real advantage? Does it really help them? Or are you still hearing a lot here's of information? The, here's the big problem with CRM. There's 225 million global businesses, less than 1% use any CRM. Why? Because you work for the CRM and you have to go to it to use it. So before a meeting, if you're diligent, you Google somebody, then you go log that in the CRM and then you engage with them. You might engage with them on email or social or, or Zoom or face-to-face. -face. And then you got to go back and log that in the CRM because the CRM doesn't work where you're working. It doesn't live in your inbox. It doesn't live in your Zoom or your Teams. It doesn't live in your LinkedIn or your Twitter uh, effectively. And it doesn't work for you. Your CRM should do the non-human things like automatically building a record and logging the interactions. So you could do the human thing, which is listening and logging the note and scheduling the next task because it's the basics that wins games. And most people don't do the basics because they're too busy doing the hard stuff, which is data entry and typing. And I think the biggest cause of failure of CRM is lack of use in bad data because you don't even you do type the stuff in, it'll decay like fish. So most people, A, don't define what their CRM should really be doing other than maybe capturing a lead and putting it in a drip marketing thing and maybe handing it to a sales rep who can pound it into a lead, which is 5% of all the contacts in your company. And, and I think that they fail because they don't deliver on the promise. And the promise is really empowering that customer facing business team member to be good at engagement and to be able to engage. You need to listen because you need to learn what you need to do to add value. But most salespeople don't listen because they're too busy typing the shit in the thing, trying to log all the stuff. So management gets off their back. And so I think that a lot of small businesses buy a CRM because everybody else has one and they think they should have one too. They don't really define what should go in or what goes out. And then at the end of the day, they have it, but they're not really using it. So most people use a CRM as a contact manager, mm. period. All right. So inflation is still high. Uh, lots of folks are really worried about recession, particularly small business folks. Where does CRM fit into this equation, particularly for small businesses? Does, does the specter of recession provide an opportunity for CRM to help? small businesses? Well, I think it does because it helps you to find the needles in the haystacks. I think that you need to look beyond your prospects and customers to figure out how to grow your business. I'll give you an example. The thing that really accelerated Goldmine was our relationship with Microsoft, BizDev. So what happened was our customers started coming to us and saying, we need a, a database that scales bigger than DBase, which was our backend database. Mm -hmm. our, our resellers are saying, we want to make more than uh, uh, the dollars off the gold mine. Uh, Microsoft came to us and said, we want to sell anti-server SQL server and exchange server, small business server. We solved all that by building Goldmine Enterprise, which basically required a seat of anti-server SQL server and exchange server for every seat of Goldmine. 
which solved our customers need to scale, our partners need to make $10 every gold mine dollar, and Microsoft's need to sell its SQL Server, which nobody would buy without a third-party product to call for it. So Microsoft pushed the crap out of us, and we got to $100 plus million a year in revenue. Fast forward to today. Nimble built itself by building relationships and integrations with Google, just like we did with Novell back in the day. Today, Google is yesterday's Novell. Small businesses 10 years ago used Google for the cloud to tie together all their PCs and do productivity. Microsoft doesn't innovate. They iterate. They wait for somebody else to build the market. Then they come with their muscle and build something good enough and use that muscle to scale billions of users and hundreds of thousands of VARs. I saw that seven years ago and built integrations with the products, relationships with the people, got us access to the programs. And now Microsoft is our global reseller and we've become the simple serum for Microsoft 365. Now, why would Microsoft push Nimble as the serum for Microsoft 365 when they have Dynamics? The reality is Dynamics fits their bigger customers. It doesn't fit their resellers and it doesn't fit their SMB customers. And Microsoft needs something to not only help deliver something that makes Microsoft 365 sticky, but also something that drives adoption of Power, Power Family products, Azure, and even training wheels into Dynamics because I'll argue that Dynamics wouldn't have scaled the way it did if there wasn't a goldmine to teach small businesses how to use a serum and then grow into a bigger tool. And so biz dev is a huge thing that can grow your business, but how do you manage that biz dev? How do you manage the relationships? And not just the biz dev, but the press and the influencer and the, and the PR and all the things you need to do for storytelling. How would I manage relationships with people like you as an analyst or Ron as a as a writer, if I didn't have a process and a tool to do it. And so if you're a small business out there listening to me today, you need to think beyond prospects and customers. You need to build empower your team to have to share the relationships across your company, not just in the pre-sales, but the post-sales and all the other relationships that you need to grow. So you need a company CRM. And if you have a company CRM, you need an outcome other than deals because you're not selling to everybody. And so today you use spreadsheets to outreach. Brent, have you ever used a spreadsheet to outreach to a group of people? <laughs> uh, no. Oh, yes, you have. You no. lying. Uh, <laughs> you lying sack. So <laughs> why do people use spreadsheets? Because they need to have a row and columns of data and fields uh, to visualize the people to outreach. But that doesn't work. And so people switch to things like Trello and other things. So we basically built workflows in the Nimble that enable you to add somebody to a workflow wherever you are. Have you ever connected somebody on LinkedIn? Of course, yeah. Why? What purpose? What workflow? You don't. You you, you probably mentally have one, but you don't put them through the process. Right. Imagine if every connection that you build or do, everywhere in email and social and everywhere you go, you have a process for the typical people, and you put them in the workflow, and you can teach your people you hire to put to manage those processes. You know what? This is how businesses scale. And that's why small businesses need a company CRM and they need a company CRM that's more than just for salespeople. And they need to be able to manage those repeatable processes and the workflows. And, um, and that's one of the things I'm most excited about. Can you tell? <laughs> just a little bit. Just that. All right. This has been great. Um, what is CRM going to look like in a couple of years? What do you, all right. Let me, let me ask you like a two-parter. What do you want it to look like, but what do you expect it to look like in a couple of years? 
I think that we're going to have a division between what is traditional serum, which is a sales serum um, that has evolved from a sales serum into sales, marketing, customer service uh, platform. So if you think about it, uh, Zendesk bought base and Zo and um, um, uh, HubSpot built HubSpot sales and now HubSpot service and inter products like Intercom kind of pioneered that sort of a blend of, of, of marketing and sales and, and customer service. And I think that that should be like the hub of your contact center for a typical business to capture leads and put them through processes. But none of those products are really used effectively as a team relationship manager. So I do believe that people continue to use the traditional sales serum, which will morph into sales, customer service <clears throat> and marketing. But I think that <clears throat> a lot of companies don't do traditional sales and they're going to look for a relationship CRM, a personal CRM. I find that personal CRM is a really big topic that people are talking about because they all basically use their phone as their personal CRM. They used to use a Rolodex in the daytimer, but I think we all need to be thinking about that. But whatever CRM you're using, I think that CRMs need to get smarter. They need to automatically build and update the records and it's difficult now that the APIs have been kind of cut off, I don't know if you know it or not, but LinkedIn gave me the keys to the city. They gave me all their public and private APIs and Nimble used to automatically unify your Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn contacts and enrich them. But I do think that the APIs that people are using these days that are basically scraping everything because scraping has made, been made legal through the, through, the, um, through the court things that happened where people will now sell you that and companies are using APIs to enrich contacts. I think that automatically enriching contacts and then building CRM so it works and lives wherever you're engaging, because if you have to go to it to use it, you won't use it, I think is definitely the, the future. Um, but I think that we need to think about the concept of relationships and the outcomes, because most people think about CRMs to sell. And I think that the future of relationships isn't about bagging and tagging other people. It's about finding ways to blow wind in their sales. If your focus as a human being is not what can I get from you, but what can I give to you, then we've shifted the idea of contacts and relationships. And I think we're shifting into a higher power and purpose in our world. And that's where I think we need to go in order to really become an enlightened people. And so I think that, Today, a lot of the CRM software don't understand what I'm talking about when it talks about relationships and a higher purpose and power. But I do believe that we're at the forefront of teaching and preaching that. And I think that other people, when I talk about it, they really get that. And I hope that that becomes a, a more important mantra is, is about what can I give you as opposed to what can I get from you? Wow. Okay. So... We go a long time on that one because I'm a skeptic. Mm. I feel like every time uh, a new technology comes out, particularly a new communication technology, whether it's a social network or a channel of sorts, the initial usage of it is how can I extract, not how can I add? Mm. How can I get people to like, subscribe, and uh, hit the smash the notification button? Uh, as opposed to how can I help others reach the audience they're looking for? 
it has. So it, it always, for me, it always kind of comes back to the people's intended use, not the technology. Yes. It's all about what's up in here, not yes. about the, the, the new iPhone 14 with all the great technology. Because all that does, all that great technology does is accelerate and spread whatever's up here a lot faster and a lot wider. And if what up, what's up here ain't good for anybody but the, the person, we're kind of in the same situation we've been in for years. I do believe, Brent, that we as human beings take um, th two steps forward, one step back. And um, and you could look at it kind of like what happened with Obama and then what happened with the other guy. <laughs> uh, and um, and I think that there is a resistance to change in humanity that <clears throat> the old guard has hold of the power and they're not going to give it up easy. And I think that it's going to take enlightened human beings to uh, lean in, to, um, to facilitate the change. And, um, and, and I think that the change has to be, what is our purpose as human beings on this planet? Is it to get as much as we can in the brief period of time that we're here or to give as much as we can? And by giving as much as you can, you get everything you, you, you can imagine and more in life. And I'm a believer in that ladder. And even the greats taught that Zig Ziglar and Dale Carnegie. This was their mantra. Right. Uh, and I think we need to go back to some of those old school people in order to drive that future change. Yeah, I, I, I like the two steps forward, one step back uh, analogy, because it really does feel like like your children's generation. Mm. It, it really feels like that generation is not as into uh, you know, kind of the financial things, the the, the trappings. They, when they look for a job, they're not looking just for the biggest salary. It feels like they're looking for a company that they feel is kind of aligned with uh, the things that they value. And it, it feels like, I could be wrong, it feels yeah. like they take into consideration more yeah. things than what I, you know, and, I took. And let's just look at the, the years, right? I went to high school in the 70s. And if I showed you a picture of me in high school, <laughs> I had hair, you know, down to here. And I wore Birkenstocks and ate avocado sandwiches and went to Grateful Dead shows. And I protested uh, nuclear power and the Vietnam War and blah, blah, blah. And then what happened? We had the go-go 80s, right? Where it basically became the corporate suits and all about profit and stuff. Greed is good. Greed is good, right? More is better. Uh, and, and, and so we got to that society where a lot of those people were all about filling the garages up from stuff mark. And so I, I really believe that if I look around at, especially accelerated by COVID where people are sort of, uh, giving up on the old sort of corporate greed and dream and, and moving to small towns and living lives that are balanced where, Maybe they're working four days a week instead of five days a week. And they're still they're still investing in the companies and and driving, you know, growth and stuff. But they take time to go out in the mountains and and really commune with nature and and they care about the environment and and things. And so I really believe that we we drive change and then the old guard kind of 
holds back and it's like, no, you're not going to change. We're going to hold you back. And no. And then we go, no, we really are going to change. Here we go. And inevitably, I believe in the promise of the future that that this enlightenment and change will occur. If you just look back to my father's era in the 50s, where they were broadies and, you know, the, the way they talked about people and and things, it's completely shifted and it's going to continue to shift. And I believe in all that. But I think that software and its purpose has to lead that change. And that's one of the things that I've been doing. I really learned about relationships through my father, who was an entrepreneur and an automobile dealer. And, um, and I, I really value people and the conversation and the connection and the opportunity that creates, like just our relationship and the things that we share. And I believe that software should empower that, which is different than go Google pipe drive. It's the sales serum for salespeople. Look at Nimble. It's a serum for the whole company. And it's about relationships. And the outcome isn't just a deal. Yeah, we do deals. But we do workflows that help you achieve, ideally, a higher purpose. All right, John, this has been a great conversation. I'll leave with this because one of the things that we do share are the Los Angeles Rams. Are we going to win this week? Yes, we are going to win this week. And we're going to have a winning season. Um, the The Bills were tough, Brent. They they were a hungry team. Uh, when you don't win, you get hungrier. Yeah. And um and and they were ready. They were ready to play. We and weren't. I think we were. We weren't ready. We 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 were Hollywood. You know. <laughs> um. And and I used to accuse Jared Goff of being too Hollywood. And I think that there's it's easy to get seduced by this beautiful weather out here and, and the beautiful people and the beautiful places. And, and they, they, they didn't have their eye on the ball and they got spanked. Yeah. And, and, and as professionals, they should be embarrassed and okay. they're better than that. And, um, and that goes top to bottom in that team. And I do think they are better than that and they are capable and they will step up as professionals Last year, opening game against the Buccaneers, they were ready to play yeah. because they were hungry. This year, they weren't as hungry. They better get hungry, Brent, because they are the Los Angeles Rams, and this is our house. Absolutely. Look, let's face it. They were there were a lot. There was a lot on the line for Stafford and for uh, you know almost everybody because we hadn't won it, and they made the big bet. And they made the big, and then they brought in Von Miller. And I mean, so, so oh, God, think, don't get me started. Von Miller, he had something to prove, didn't he? I, yeah, I think, I think we kind of lost a little bit of that since we won. I'm hoping, you know, getting smacked around a bit, open people's eyes up, get them a little bit more focused. And well, luckily, we play the Falcons. So let's hope, <laughs> let's hope we can do it. John, this has been great, man. I, I really appreciate it. And I definitely want to make sure we don't wait another year to talk, but I also want to talk in a year because that means I've done another year of this. So. All right, Brent, always uh, a pleasure. Uh, appreciate our friendship. And I appreciate you continuing to hold the conversation and the court around what is enterprise software, 
and the people that build it and its purpose. And I hope that you take away from our conversation here today a little bit of that higher power purpose that I'm trying to drive in the world uh, about what software can and should be doing. And I'll leave you with this. Do you remember the serum conference that we you showed the picture of? That's where we got together 10 years ago. Yeah. There was a guy from Oracle, Anthony. Anthony oh, Lai. Anthony Lai. Anthony Lai. Yeah. And um, this was in the depths of the, the, the 2009 financial crisis. Uh, and, uh, and he got up there and said, the purpose of enterprise software is to eliminate human head count. Mm, wow, I don't remember that. Jeez. Oh yeah, he did. I do remember it. And it just rubbed me the wrong way. It might be true. That might be the truth, especially coming from Oracle, which for me kind of epitomized at least 10 years ago, the bag em and tag em, kill em enterprise mentality sales rep thing. And you could tell me I'm wrong. But that, for me, was the truth of what I saw, the way their sales pe people interacted and what he said. And I believe that we all um, have a responsibility as entrepreneurs to drive higher, higher power purpose and change in the world uh, along the lines of what we've discussed here today. And, uh, and I think our software has to have that higher purpose, which is why I keep being and doing things the nimble way. Hmm. Oh, this has been great. By the way, I don't think that's the same. I think <laughs> Anthony's been gone a while, so I hope it's not the same anyway. But I, I wow, I, I, I got to look back on that. I think I actually, I want to check that out because that's pretty fascinating that you remembered that all oh, those years ago. Me. Brent, it struck me because around me, there were millions, billions of people losing their jobs. And this guy gets up there and, and but it, you know what? It was the truth. He was speaking the truth and the audience was enterprise decision makers. And, uh, and they probably wanted to hear that. Mm. But, but to me as a human being, it rubbed me the wrong way and drove me even harder into my passion and purpose in life that, um, that software ideally is changing the world for the better and not for the worse. Yeah. Well, I think you, uh, Schritter from Zoho, more, uh, there's actually a lot of them. I, I think that's the, the sentiment that I'm hearing and seeing more of what you kind of, the gospel that you just uh, dropped. Um, I think with folks like you guys out there, there's hope that uh, we use this technology to improve people's lives, even if it's just the work life. But I think it goes beyond that. Um, and I, I see more and more examples of that. And I hope it, go, it continues to go in that direction because it, the world would be kind of a very sad place if we use technology just to eliminate humans. That's well. I, I'll tell you, Brent. If you if you look at what China is doing with surveillance oh and, goodness, uh, and AI and and future robotics, you know it's it's scary what software and technology 
can and will do in our future lives. That's true. And uh, and I think that the more digital we get, the more human we need to be. And uh, and I'm mm. I'm worried about the future in regards to how technology is going to be used. And I think we all need to fight back. <clears throat> and privacy is <clears throat> hugely important. Blah blah blah. And so let's continue this conversation. And in the meantime, please give my love to uh, Paul Greenberg. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. But you just dropped the gym. The more digital we get, the more human we should be or we need to be. That that says it all right there, folks. That uh, that's a, Now that's the mic drop for you there, John. It's a perfect mic drop. All right. Thanks so much. We will definitely be talking sooner rather than later. Go Rams. And I'll okay. see uh, everybody tomorrow on CRM Players. So enjoy the rest of your day, folks. See ya. Thank you.